Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs, and I'm welcoming uh, Stephen Brower, who wrote a new book, Crime Comics Confidential. Crime Comics Confidential. <laughs> what a delightful book this was. Uh, how did you end up putting this together? Well, you know, I, the, the subject has always intrigued me because it's it, it's so multi-layered. Um, there, there's just so much rich um, information there. There's the whole romanticism of criminals and crime. Um, unfortunately, we're seeing a new kind of crime these days, right? Uh, with the, these, you know, flash mob lootings, which is really shocking. But, you know, go, going back to the Depression, there was that romanticism with all those gangsters. And then there's the whole Senate hearings and Dr. Wortham, you know, seduction of the innocent that these books played such a big part. And, and then there's the Bob Wood story, which is just so bizarre. Um, and, and then the comics themselves, which are, you know, wonderful and have all the top artists creating art for them. Yeah, I just love how there's such a great combination of artists in these books. We got to hear the Bob Wood story in a little bit. Um, why'd you choose these particular stories? Well, I was really driven by the artist as I usually am. And so, but I also wanted to include the true life stories uh, in quotes, because of course they all take <laughs> liberties. Yeah. But I was able to collect, you know, quite a few of, of the real, you know, Al Capone's and Lucky Luciano and Duck Schultz and uh, Pretty Boy Floyd and combine that with these fictionalized stories as well. Yeah, Dutch Schultz wasn't quite the spawn of evil, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, love, I love the comics hyperbole around them. I know. Absolutely. And, and all the verbosity they throw at you. That's the hardest thing for me to get used to when I read real old comics is just how many words there are in these darn stories. You know, um, me too. I, I think that's why I'm, um, you know, driven by the art first, because, yeah, they're, they're pretty verbose. Yeah, you mentioned like the, these outlaw heroes too. I love how you mentioned that Woody Guthrie song, which is a big favorite of mine about Pretty Boy Floyd, really captures the kind of romanticism of the criminals and why like, I think we were all, we're all attracted to them at a certain age and when we're rebelling against the world or trying to find our way. Well, you know, growing up in the 50s and 60s in New York, uh, we had Million Dollar Movie, which was on... Uh, WPIX Channel 9. There were only, what, five channels back then. And Million Dollar Movie would play the same movie like four or five times on Saturday and four or five, five times on Sunday. And then every night for five days, as, as I recall. And so they would have all these great James Cagney movies and Humphrey Bogart movies. And so, you know, growing up a generation after those films, but we actually grew up with those films because they were on our black and white TVs. And, and so that had a big influence as well. Are you a fan of the film noirs? Oh, absolutely, yeah. One of my favorite genres. Interesting how comics take on these stories in a different way than, than the noirs do. Obviously yeah. a little more immature way, but they're kind of nice echoes of each other. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, but um, only a few 
artists, um, I think, captured that noir feeling in, in the stories themselves. Uh, Marvin Stein, who I think is a greatly underrated um, comic artist, uh, it, you know, his inking was very heavy and and mm -hmm. um, and uh, very noirish. Um, but most of the stories don't have that kind of quality to it. I kind of I kind of was hoping I'd find more. Um, there, there's a few stories that are definitely stylized. Uh, the Bernard Krigstein story. Yeah. Uh, just definitely has like this weird kind of corruption of evil feel to it or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's some pretty interesting unknown uh, or not unknown, but lesser known artists in the book. Like Mort Leave is another one who I think has a really unique style. Um, well, you are kind of the underappreciated artist guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what attracts you to these different styles? Is it just that uh, it's not something you commonly see or is it you really find uh, this, this quirkiness of the individual coming out? Well, I, I think, you know, the quirkiness is, is part of it. Um, and, and also, you know, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm fascinated by history and who gets remembered and who gets forgotten. And um, it's shocking um, because I teach undergrad who they don't know. And it, it, they've never heard of Humphrey Bogart, but they've never heard of Marlon Brando. And, and that just baffles me. Um, and, um, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I think it's important to try to memorialize these folks um, for the next generation as much as possible. But when you have really big names like that being forgotten, it, it's, it's quite a task. <laughs> I think I mentioned to you, I wrote some histories of comics. I wrote uh, the night uh, co-wrote the uh, American Comic Book Chronicles 1970s, 80s, and 90s. And what's, right. just, and what's fascinating about the 90s, even it's only 25, 30 years in the past, but many of the stars from that era are, you know, almost forgotten now. People yeah. know a few of the names, but a lot of those names are even kind of stereotyped. Uh, think about going back to, you know, before I was born, and I'm not a young kid. Um, the actors and cartoons from that era, you really have to kind of dig deep even just to find that work. Yeah, no, it, it's, it, it is amazing. And I think it's um, in a way it's getting worse because as I mentioned, you know, there were five TV channels mm -hmm. uh, growing up. There were only a few radios, you know, rock stations to listen to and today there's you know it's an infinite number and so um you know uh, my students who are of the same generation don't all listen to the same thing or watch the same thing or or have these these you know cultural um touchstones um uh, in common it, it's really fascinating yeah i'm thinking about like i've been watching that beatles documentary that's on apple tv and I'm even wondering, like, how many people in my kids' generation, let alone the next generation, would have a clue of who these people are and why they were so relevant at the time. And yet they are huge cultural touchstones. Uh, and that's why the, the value, there's so much value to a book like yours, where we get to rediscover this work. Yeah, I just started watching the Beatles documentary last night, too. And 
uh, it, it's really interesting. We had one of my graduates um, come in to talk to my grad group, uh, and he was undergrad a few years ago, and he's a wonderful muralist around Scranton. And he did a mural of John Lennon. And when he was talking to us, he couldn't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. And for you, I think you're a little bit older than I am. Like he was like, I don't know, like Taylor Swift is now. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Just amazing. I mean, you did that book about Mort Meskin to move it back to comics. He's got a story in here as well. Um, we did two books about Meskin because I have the Out of yeah. the Shadows collection. Right. Um, he's in the, he's like a, another great example of someone who um, kind of just slipped off of everyone's kind of creative radar, I guess is the way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's such an amazing artist. Yeah. What, what do you think makes him special? Oh, I, I think, you know, you talked about a uniqueness uh, or quirkiness. I mean, he, he has such a distinctive style. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he was there at the very beginning and he helped define the medium. Um, and, um, you know, and then his style changed over the years when he was with Simon and Kirby, he sort of adapted their house style. And then certainly when he was D D uh, with DC uh, in the 50s and 60s, he was adapting more of a house style, but his personality always came through and his storytelling was always throughout his career, always remarkable. I think you just hit on why I love comics so much is that the personality really comes through with the creators. And the more you look at a person's work, the more you see not just who they are is on the surface level, you know, married, kids, whatever, but you see who they are and the way they approach the world. Right. And the, those motifs, the, the way they approach their work really says a lot about who these people are as people. Uh, I mean, I'm paging through the Out of the Shadows book, for example, and I see this lovely lush brushwork that's all very much uh, in the service of this large, this kind of foreshadowing and um, deep backgrounds. It just gives you a feel for who Meskin is and or was rather in the way he just approached the way he saw the literally saw the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly the case with a, a, a creator we both admire and love with Jack Kirby as well. Oh my gosh. Kirby, um, I think Kirby Kirby in many ways is singular because he was as much a writer as he was a um, an artist, and so his storytelling is singular. You know, Meskin had to rely on writers um, mm -hmm. for his stories. Where Kirby, um, it, it was all Kirby. I think all the way through. You know, despite who his um, partners or collaborators were at the time, he he come as you're saying his his worldview comes through. It's just something very, I don't know, primal. I mean, primal is not the word. And it's a word people have used for him many times, but something very singular about Kirby that, that makes him stand out. Um, so so self-contained. I, I, I have trouble describing it sometimes. Yeah, no, it is, it, it is hard to describe because if you just, try to describe one aspect like his action was so phenomenal 
you know, right at the very beginning. Um, that that's not all there is. There, there's so much more than that. No, I I think I was gonna uh, now that I think about do you, do you have a favorite kind of obscure Kirby work or works or era? Oh, I love it all, okay. uh, especially late forties, fifties. I you know I love all the Simon and Kirby um, stuff and um, you know all the way through, and of course his own own stuff at DC uh, Fourth World. But I also love the Demon. I think is you know, phenomenal. Um, and even, and then when he returned to um, Marvel, um, I, I haven't seen the Eternals movie. I'm a little trepidatious about it. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest revelation for me with Kirby was when I picked up the collections of his romance comics that Fantagraphics put out a decade or so ago. Right. And just how kind of, humanistic they are so non-formulaic yeah how they really focused on these characters and these characters in a way that was very empathetic yeah absolutely the some of those stories are phenomenal and um yeah and you're and very human you're you're right i'm used to think kirby and keep going sorry oh i was going to say they invented the genre which is pretty remarkable yeah yeah i mean these those characters felt three-dimensional in ways that few other characters do. There's the there's a at least one story about like a um was a war wife who uh, comes to America and tries to make her way and is shunned by the society around her. It's very little really romance in some of those stories. It's more about just people trying to make their ways in life. Yeah, and it just shows this whole other approach that you know you just don't see in Fantastic Four or the New Gods. Right, yeah. Um, uh, you, you, you don't, and you do. I mean, there's always a human slant um, to the characters in Kirby, um, and so you know, I think some of those aspects of the romance comics did enter into the other, the other comics throughout Marvel and and um, DC. Um, but there, 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 there again, it's, it, he, he's really hard to encapsulate because there's just so much there. And, and he was such an amazing artist as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it is an interesting kind of combination. The better an artist tends to be, the more complicated their legacy kind of is in many interesting. ways. Interesting, yeah. Uh, you have a very early Gene Colan story that to me is almost unrecognizable. Yeah, it is, yep. Um, and I think about his legacy, you know, I tend to think of him in terms of, of the Marvel stuff he did, of course, Tomb of Dracula and the like. But, you know, he was also drawing for EC back in the day. And, right. Um, and I think his war comics they did for Warren are among the greatest things he ever did. Yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of those Warren books are really phenomenal. Yeah, which, which actually leads me to the great... I'm sure everyone you've talked to about this book has mentioned uh, the standout story to me the the obvious standout which is the toth story yeah yeah it, it definitely gets mentioned quite a bit and it, it's it's so toth because it's so odd i mean even the the panel shape is odd and then the um the, it looks to me like it's engraved 
Uh, I'm told that, and I forget the name of the paper, but there was a type of paper that you would draw on and then remove from, and it would make it look like that, that kind of duotone. It's called craft tint. Craft tint, yes. It's famous and, and for being like, it's a chemical composition. So the pages would come into the publisher and they would smell like chemicals. <laughs> does the story to you look like it's done uh, in craft tint? It does, yeah. It's got mm. that kind of feel to it that yeah, it like it looks like it's like saturated in zipatone or something, but the texture it feels different. Yep, yep. Uh, do you know the story behind those those that issue? Because the panels are all these weird kind of elongated panels, like they're trying to be like cinemascope or something. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. And uh, his is the only story in that comic that is that has those panels. Huh. So, uh, you know, I just everything he did, he experimented with. Um, and so it, I think it's, an ex, you know, just him experimenting. But it's so odd. Did that story stand out for you when you're putting? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What was your response to it? Uh, how odd it was but it's, <laughs> i mean because it's, it's also very kind of it, it it stands out because it's just got a different feel than the other stories yeah it, it it's what i liked about it is that it, it addresses juvenile delinquency which is the whole issue with crime comics um you know there's that great uh, uh craig yo book on the subject about um joe schuster and uh, I'm forgetting the title of the book. Do you know that book? Yeah, yeah. Let me look it up. But I, yeah, but I've seen it. And and it's all about Wortham and and juvenile delinquency and an actual case of a murder. Um, it, it, it's really a great book on, on the subject. You're not talking about the secret identity book about Joe Schuster's yes fetish art. You are okay. Yeah. I've seen, I never picked that up. So you recommend Oh, you that? have to read it. It's great. It looks wild. It's it's only, I mean, the art is bizarre because uh, it, it's all this, you know, S&M um, art by Joe Schuster and they look exactly like Superman and Clark Kent and Lois Lane, wow. which is really strange. But that's really not the heart of the book. The heart of the book is the story of these kids who who murdered um a homeless person for absolutely no reason and oh, wow. and wortham uh actually got involved in the case and interviewed them and so uh it, it's one of the rare cases where you can and they read crime comics uh, or comics and so it's one of the rare cases of actual you know juvenile delinquency uh, as an example, um, whereas, you know, I think for the most part, the whole thing was, it was the same back to the Beatles. It's like when they were burning the Beatles albums, it's the same kind of thinking. Of course, everyone read comics back at that, in that time. Oh, sure. Heck, when I was a kid in the seventies, everyone read comics. I mean, I wasn't at all strange by picking up my books. It's intended for kids, you know? Yeah. Wortham himself is a fascinating character. He is. 
probably the topic for another conversation. But yeah, uh, I really do believe he was uh, like legitimately concerned for kids. He just uh, he just ended up finding a marketing gimmick and found it as a way to kind of um, make it make himself into a celebrity for the time. Right. Yep. There was such a big market for public intellectuals in the 40s and 50s, which is such a strange concept. Yeah. Yeah, there, there were a lot of articles written on comics really early on, both pro and con, and uh, in, in all the big magazines, and he was writing for them against. Uh, but there, there, there was some, you know, support as well. Um, but I think, uh, he, I mean, he wrote for quite a few magazines, uh, and then his book came out. And so that led to the, the Senate hearings. And he was kind of intellectually opposed to William Moulton Marston, who wrote uh, Wonder Woman you know, with Marston's whole crazy background as well. Right. Yeah. With his uh, polyamorous relationships and everything. It's like, yeah. so this, this all just like the deeper you dig into all this history, the weirder it all gets. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so my other favorite standout story from the issue was his master's teeth. I'm a huge fan of Mike Sikowski. Uh-huh. And part of why I love Sikowski is everything in Sikowski, like with Kirby, is exaggerated. But especially in this story, everything is just exaggerated over the top. Right. There's people who seem to be at like 90 degree angles they bend over so far. <laughs> and everyone has yeah. this like demented look on their faces like it, it's so crazy over the top yeah it is I, i'm looking at it right now i i agree um yeah it's it, it's pretty intense and exaggerated <laughs> i think that's what makes this book so fun is you just go from page to page you have all these revelations about Artists who you may have, may have never heard of, or never, may have never thought of very much. Right, right. He's, and then there's there's big names like Jack Cole, who, who's so remarkable. Yeah, I, is there a collection of just Cole crime comics? Because I know uh, there was stuff back in the day, the Mister Mister Monsters crime comics. Right, but right. I don't think there is, other than perhaps that or the Bill Black. Um, um issues i i don't know uh but i there's not, certainly has not been a book there was the book by chick kid and art um spiegelman on, on jack cole um mm -hmm. uh biography but the mystery um, of jack cole yeah yeah fascinating figure this is such a great cover for your book right uh it's just just a, just a wild image of the, the uh, bullets piercing a guy's belly and it just says rats on it. Just <laughs> Which means they're, they're spelling backwards, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like how everything is perfect too. The lines on the A are exactly right. <laughs> These are real sharpshooters. I guess they could have, you know, it's the 50s. They could have been ex-military <laughs> or something. Uh, you got to tell the story of Bob Wood. Oh my gosh. So Bob Wood with Charles Bureau um, created crime comics. It was, they, they were doing Daredevil, the original Daredevil comics and boy comics. And then Charles Bureau was actually the one who came up with the idea after listening to e either he read it in the newspaper or he 
heard it on the radio, but there was some crime that was committed. And he started thinking about, well, would that make an interesting comic? And so they, they created this whole new genre of, of comics that didn't exist. I mean, of course, all the superhero comics were crime comics, you know, detective comics, you know, with Batman and, and especially the early Superman, they were fighting more common criminals. Um, um, but uh, uh, so it was Wood and, and Biro who created these uh, comics. And then, um, so that was in the 40s. And then you get into the uh, early 50s and Bob Wood uh, unfortunately was an alcoholic and also uh, a, a woman abuser. Um, there, there were you know, several incidents, uh, Jerry Robinson described one where he witnessed that. But Wood um, uh, disappeared uh, for several days and then reappeared out on the streets of New York. Uh, he, he was actually around Gramercy Park and he was all bloody. He held a cab and um, uh, the cab driver said, uh, what did you, you do, kill somebody? Or so something to that effect. And Wood said, yeah, I did. You can call the newspaper and make some money. Uh, instead, the, um, the cab driver called the police and, and Bob Wood, the, the co-creator of Frank Comics, murdered his girlfriend uh, in a hotel in Gramercy Park um, where they were holed up for several days. He was on an alcohol and drug bender too, right? Yep, yep. And um, so he went to prison and, and then he only went to prison for a few years, which I always found odd. And then when he got out, he, um, there, there's no proof, but it looks like he was murdered by people he owed money to. Uh, he was thrown in front of, uh, I think, a truck. Hey, I'm surprised no one's ever done a novel based on his life. I know. It's so crazy. It's just so, so odd. Uh, yeah, it's it's very, it's so ironic, but it's so yeah. strange. It kind of goes to the fact too that comics were such a sleazy business at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, several of the the publishers had had connections. Donafield at DC had, you know, mob connections, and the I forget their names, but the um, two guys who began Charlton uh, Comics actually met in prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was always the story that charlton was a mob run business right right and and dc too you know dc had those connections mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah looking back do you think this work is actually transgressive or do you think reading it now is almost more nostalgic um yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I, I think, I actually think the fascination with crime continues. Um, and, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I, th I think nostalgia is a big part of it because, again, going back to, you know, the, all those movies with James Cagney and, 
mm -hmm. uh, Bogar and George Rast, where they were really romanticized. Um, I, I know for me that that brings a real nostalgia. Yeah, and it's just this kind of weird charm. It's not naive in any way, but just a different feel. Yeah. It's oddly charming to me. Yeah, I agree. Well, I guess there's, you know, in the comics, there's as harsh as they are, there's also at the same time a, a naivete, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess because comics are intended for kids, intended this kind of ephemeral entertainment. Uh, not as much time is spent on them as other media. So they're right. More, it's just something that they, they knock out and it, it is what it is kind of thing. It, it's not necessarily refined, which is, I guess, part of why someone like Toth really stands out. Right. Uh, I just pulled, by the way, off my shelf, this collection of Simon and Kirby crime comics. From oh, yeah. Titan books from what, must be 10 years ago now. Something like that, yeah. And just paging through it, the, the Kirby crime comics are incredible. Yeah. Just the energy to them. Yeah, the other thing that, that reminds me is this is the time when men wore hats, cars, you know, got 10 gallons, of, uh, 10 miles a gallon, <laughs> leaded gas, pre-internet, obviously. Uh, it just feels like such a different world. It makes you realize just how much our world has changed, which is oh so my much God, my feeling yeah. when I watch the noirs. Yep. Yeah, the uh, hat and the, and the coats are really interesting, right? Everyone wore the, uh, a fedora. <laughs> yes. Like uh, every time I read these types of stories too, it makes me think I would have no idea how to wear a hat if I was transformed back to that era. What's a good <laughs> hat to wear? What's fashionable? What's appropriate for me? That's funny. <laughs> uh, I got to ask you about something totally different. Sure. Which is, I know you have a love for Duke Ellington. Yeah. Which is a topic I know nothing about. <laughs> is there kind of a good gateway Duke Ellington performance or uh, recording uh, to, to uh, check out? Oh, um, well, you know what? I'll tie two of them together because this is rarely known, but there is a great, and it's on CD, there's a great recording of Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington. Okay. And it, it's, it's, the only, um, it's the only recording they ever made together. And it's phenomenal. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it, but um, if you look it up, and, and it, it ties back into the Beatles because there's actually two discs. One is the, the, the um, published disc, which is you know the, the final songs of the two of them together. And then the other one is the rehearsals. And that's the better one. It's like the equivalent of Beatles anthology and you get, get to hear them talking and working it out. And it's just a great record. Oh, that kind of thing can be so fascinating. That's the part that I've enjoyed the most about this is, you know, especially in part one, just seeing uh, the Beatles get together and they're just working out the music together. Yeah. Turning these nuggets into something that's that's beautiful. I just find that creative side so fascinating. Yeah, you all love this CD, and it's a great introduction to Ellington because they do, uh, you know, most of his big hits, 
but with with Armstrong, who who's my other love, and so, uh, and, and they're really interesting together because they're really opposites. Um, uh, Armstrong was just he was sort of like Kirby. It was just like he was just pure raw emotion and talent. And uh, Ellington was this very refined, um, uh, reserved personality. And so it's a study in opposites. Huh. Huh. That sounds really interesting. A lot of the greatness in, in the greatest comics from collaborations come from a little bit of that tension between it that creates. Right. You see yeah. that in good music too, yep. which is why good bands sometimes don't last it's that rubbing against each other right yeah you, you'll love this um cd it's really fantastic okay cool steven uh anything else you want to mention about the book or projects you're working on well i i am i i do have projects but no signed contracts so i'm not okay. free to say anything but this has been great i've really enjoyed myself and i really appreciate it you know i i enjoyed crime Crime Comics Confidential so much. Uh, just such a great collection of stories. And I just kind of found myself bouncing from one to the next, like not, ex not knowing what to expect, you know, and suddenly finding, you know, early John B. Semmerwer. And like you, you mentioned, the, the more Lev story, um, especially the Sikowski and, and Toast stories for me were just such highlights. Um, it really was just a delight. Oh, great. Thank you. And, and, I have to mention uh, Craig Yo and Yo Books and Clesia uh, um, were wonderful in, in letting me do this, you know, and uh, I'm really happy with the way the book came out. I got to ask, are these your own comics or did Craig collect them? And though he's got an enormous collection. Yeah, no, these these were my own. Okay, so you've been collecting yeah. these for many years, I assume. Yeah, yep. Do you hope for a second volume? Uh, yes. <laughs> well i would be first in line to buy it hey thanks oh, that's again great. thanks again it was a really great way to spend my morning to hang out and talk to you about this stuff great jason thank you so much oh thank you